Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So if you've been listening to the last couple podcasts, we've been talking about Islam and about all sorts of different topics about it. Um, I am joined together here with two pastors from ministry to Muslims, Pastor George Saik and Pastor Eddie Garari. I'm also joined here with Reverend Jeff Cran of Zionsbanner.org. So we're going to be go ahead and start a new topic on this podcast, which is going to be about the Islamic misconceptions about the Trinity. If you ever had a conversation about with Muslims in regards to who God is, a lot of Muslims will say about how Christians are not a monotheistic God, but we are polytheistic, as in we believe in a father, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a lot of Christians have a very difficult time trying to explain this, and Islam has a very difficult time understanding the Trinity or the idea of the Trinity. So I'm going to start this conversation off with you guys and see what is it about Islam and the Trinity that's difficult to grasp and got to go from there. Uh, the idea that God is uh, three in one, that's uh, very confusing to them. How can he say three? Is he three gods or one God? They, they have a hard time. But first I would like to ask uh, Eddie, uh, what, do you, what is the Trinity? Well, when you look at it, Okay, the Trinity, to put it in a nutshell, and again, this could, go, this could be a much longer conversation and explanation, but to put it in, in a shorter term is most people are going to say it's three persons in one. I like to use, as Calvin used, talks about the hypostasis, the three essence, okay, that, um, that again, you'll, you'll hear this, the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Father, the Father, you know, the Son's not the Holy Spirit, and you have that triangle there where it talks about how Again, when we talk about three persons, it's not the personhood in like we think of, of you and I being a person that God is a spirit, is uh, Jesus is a spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a spirit because, you know, not only because it has it in his name, but we have to look at it from the standpoint of most people when they think about the Holy Spirit, they say, well, that's a really hard subject to get into. That's, that's really vast, and it, and it is. Because if we were able to explain it to the point of where we actually understood it, we'd be God. And thank God we're not. <laughs> um, so, I mean, really the best way to explain it is, is again, three co-equal, co-eternal essences um, together as one. It's like um, when the Bible talks about a, a man and a woman, uh, like Adam knew his wife. And she bore him a son. It was that, that intimate relationship that they coexisted eternally before time, before anything else began. And that blows the minds of a lot of Muslims when you talk to them. They say, how can that happen? How can that be? And that doesn't make sense. You have to use common sense. But I think as we go along the conversation, we're going to see that this goes beyond that. This is not something that you can make a formula that you can... Um, exhaust this conversation or explanation just in a couple of minutes or even a couple of days or hours. This is something that I believe God has given us to, to, I think Pastor Jeff said it, you wrestle with it. It is something that you, as Paul said, you know, you, you work it out, not mm -hmm. work it up, that you work it out. Um, mm -hmm. And it's something that you can uh, submerge yourself into and totally get lost in. 
Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, Pastor uh, George. One, one thing that is really important because I've seen people using the egg as right. an example or the water or the ice. Uh, it's very important to not bring God right. to that level. Right. Uh, but I always start with Muslims by telling them that uh, we are limited and God is unlimited. We are uh, we cannot understand and comprehend God completely. We can know about God what He reveal about Himself in the Word. And I would like to ask the same question to uh, Reverend uh, Jeff Koran, please. Uh, the traditional formula is the idea of three persons, uh, but there was a discussion between Eastern and Western churches between essences and persons. Um, but uh, because that was a real issue for me, uh, I talk about God being um, uh, having pluralness within himself or being uh, tri-personal um, just as a way of trying to kind of have language. Our language fails. Yes. Okay. You yes. know, uh, I like to say that, you know, we can only be unipersonal or we end up in a mental institution. <laughs> but for God, he can be tri-personal because he is God. Or he can just be in a movie, right, with multiple personalities. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had um, to throw that out. But uh, real important, uh, some of the things that occur uh, for the Muslim, how does God enter his world? He's transcendent. He's outside his world. But in what way does he enter his world? In what way is he with us? We say, you know, God is with us. Well, if God's outside his world and he has no way to enter it, uh, then he, he cannot relate to his creation in any way. Uh, and so some of those issues kind of start to come up. Um, also, do you understand the Muslim thinks of the Son of God in terms of physical sonship? God didn't have any physical children. And I only say that because so does the Jew. The term son of God, you have to be willing to explain what you mean by son. Okay, because most Americans don't walk around and I said, this is my son. And they, they would say to me, you mean metaphysically, he shares your essence. I mean, they wouldn't say that to me. They right. figure he was physically my son. Yes. And so that's the image that the Muslim has is that we're claiming that God had relations. I mean, yes. George can go into that. Yeah, the, the reason Muslims as, uh, bring it to physical relationship because in the Quran, in uh, uh, that it, it, it emphasized, like for example, in uh, verse uh, uh, verse uh, chapter six, verse one hundred one, it says that God cannot have a son because he has no wife and also in another verse uh, Allah asking Jesus that's in chapter 5 verse 116 Allah asking Jesus did you tell the people to take you and your mother to God's beside me and here we see that uh, the assumption from Allah the God of the Quran and if he's a true God he should know what the Bible teaches uh, but it seems clearly to me that the God of Islam did not know what's in that book, uh, the Bible. Mm -hmm. Be for him to put that conversation between Allah and Jesus, did he tell the people to take you and your mother to God's beside me? It's showing us that uh, the God of Islam assuming that uh, the Trinity, Father, Mother, and Son, not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's one of the misconceptions they have 
but also the verse I just said in uh, chapter 6 verse 101 uh, uh, how can God have a son if he has no wife uh, it, okay. it's, it, it's showing that when we say Jesus son of God Allah thinking we're talking about God has sex with Mary and have a son his name is Jesus uh, but the amazing part is that Islam teaches that Mary had a son without a husband. My question to my Muslim friends and to the God of Islam, if Mary can have a son without a husband, how can God himself cannot have a, his limited, that he cannot have a son because he has no wife? Is that really logical? Is Mary more powerful? I was going to say it sound that is Mary it makes it sound like Mary has more capabilities than Allah. Yeah, and, and, and this should not be a reasoning that Allah will use because He's contradicting His other reasoning by saying Mary had a son without a husband. Actually, Allah went farther to uh, allow Jesus to speak as a baby to defend His mother that uh, she is having him as a genuine baby, not having any sex with anyone without uh, marriage. Uh, he defended his mom to say, "No, no, uh, uh, I, I am. Uh, I came without a father." But um, uh, here to show that the reasoning that he cannot have a son because he had it's absolutely Allah is uh, confused about the Trinity. Uh, they link it always with sexual relationship, and we have we have to emphasize that that the the thing that we just dealt with last week at the mosque, they hold into the word begotten. Uh, can can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, it doesn't mean what they think it means. Again, they're they're physicalizing it. Uh, mm -hmm. The Greek word has the idea of the same sort of essence of the same monogenes, um, but it doesn't have the idea of physical procreation. What John is trying to do is he's stretching human language to its absolute limit, <laughs> and he's using the edge of Greek and Hebrew thought at the time to try and explain this. Uh, but what I want to share with my Muslim friends is when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we don't mean that physically he's the Son of God. We mean that he's the Son in that he bears the Father's likeness to the nth degree perfectly. So like my son looks like me, Jesus has all the attributes of God. And that's what we're trying to emphasize, that he is the perfect, he is in his person, he has all the divine attributes. Or as Colossians puts it, in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And that's what we're essentially saying. So his sonship, his, his, his um, begottenness is in his incarnation, mm -hmm. not in his essence he took on an additional nature yes. oh, okay. and that's what we're saying right so it's basically it's trying to take human vocabulary at the time even to this day and try to apply it to a god that is <clears throat> beyond our own vocabulary and understanding it. it's like trying to download an entire movie onto a um, apple 2e like, you know, like a HD movie and stuff and all the da digital information onto an Apple TV. You're not going to get all the things. You're not going to be able to. The system can't handle it. And, and the important thing to say to someone is, is whether you can fully understand something or not, if there's sufficient evidence to support it, then the logical thing to do is to accept it. 
the truth value of something is not based on the breadth of my understanding. It's based on whether it's true. You actually brought up a really good point. <clears throat> I was listening to Pastor Cliff Connectly in New Canaan, Connecticut. He was over at University of Texas, and he, this was brought up, and not exactly talking about the Trinity, but he was the, he brought up an interesting point. He was talking about um, it was it was a Muslim who was questioning him about the Trinity. I, I retract that. They were talking about the Trinity, but he ultimately turned around and said, "Well, you're saying the Trinity doesn't exist. You're saying about that Jesus can't be God." And you're saying you're quoting from the Quran, but what is your evidence? The Quran is the word of God. Like what what evidence do you have that this book is reliable? That you're using it as an argument to attack the Bible. And I think that's where it also boils down to where with Islam, they can be like, oh no, this is not true, this is not true. But in our previous podcasts, we're already showing that the Quran is not reliable. So you're trying to attack a Christian worldview with a book that is unreliable. Well, but the best. other question is this. Do you as a Muslim believe that Allah is uh, unknowable in some ways, that he's unscrutinable, that there are things that that are true about Allah that are past human finding out? Right. And if the Muslim was to say that to me, I'd say, well, great. The Trinity is just one more thing that you don't know that's yeah. inscrutable that you don't understand. Yeah, Muslims always say we know what Allah is not, but we don't know what Allah is. They don't know everything about Allah. They, they can never say and claim that they know everything about him. Uh, but now, another thing that Muslims tell us that uh, the word Trinity is not found in, in the Bible. I've seen Americans converted to Islam and sharing their stories in the university and colleges, and that's one of the reasons they convert to Islam, because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But from from uh, my quick response to them, is this a good reason for you to leave Christianity? They would say, uh, or for, for me to leave, if the Muslim asking me to leave Christianity because the word Trinity does not exist. I tell them, is this a good reason for me to leave Christianity? They would say, absolutely. We believe in Trinity. They believe in Tawheed. That Tawheed is Allah's one according to how they understand it. The word Tawheed is not found in the Quran. If this is a real, if this is a reason to reject Trinity because the word, the phrase is not there, then you should reject Tawheed because the word Tawheed is not in the Quran. If this is a reason for me to leave Christianity, this is a, are you willing to become an atheist now? Uh, the word Tawheed is not in the Quran, and that's a simple thing that we need to know. But how you know, Pastor Jeff or Reverend Jeff, how you know the Trinity exists if the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, okay, if the features of something exist, then we know the thing exists. Now, that, that's a little bit of, of cleverness, but, but how do I know water exists? Well, I've, I've got a cup of clear liquid that's tasteless, that's made out of two atoms of hydrogen and one of oxygen, and so even if I didn't call it water, it would still exist. True. The terminology doesn't make something exist. So can I find evidence of three things? I call this the DNA for the Trinity. This is like my favorite thing because I use it on YouTube. <laughs> if I can find separate persons who contain deity, okay, mm -hmm. um, and they exist simultaneously, or if I can find persons that are called deity and yet, you know, are distinct from God in heaven, so I like to go to the angel of the Lord. I mean, one thing, we were at a mosque in Dearborn, and a Muslim raised the whole 
issue of God becoming a man. And I said, so which is harder for God to become a burning bush or for God to become a man? I want to know which one Allah can't do. <laughs> I said, if Allah can become a burning bush or appear as an angel, then why would it be a stretch that he could appear as a man? It wouldn't, logically. It wouldn't. And if you go to Exodus 3, um, you know, and I know the counter. See, a good apologist has already got the counter in his head before he even gets there. Um, I know the counter, but the reality is that the story of the burning bush is in the Quran. Now, the problem is the Quran doesn't tell the story exactly the same way. That's where you can get hung up. But, because, but, but Allah spoke from that burning bush. You say, take your shoes because this place is this a holy, holy place. Ground. That part we agree on. That part we agree on. Well, if you go to the, the passage in the Bible, it's the angel of the Lord who is in the bush. And then the Hebrew says, and then he turned and God... Uh, I was just right there. Uh, he turned and uh, he, and God saw. So God saw from the burning bush, but the angel of the Lord's in the burning bush. Now I have a problem. Um, am I talking about two separate deities? Yeah. If I can demonstrate, or am I talking about one God and two persons? So now I just have to establish whether the angel of the Lord is God. Well, that's pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we don't see God entering separately from the angel of the Lord. So the angel of the Lord is called God. And if you go to other passages, the angel of the Lord is God. The sacrificing of Abraham's son. Notice I didn't give Abraham's son name because I don't, I don't have to create an argument that I don't need to die on here. Okay? Abraham, you haven't withheld your only son from me. Who told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? God did, but who's speaking to him? The angel of the Lord. And I have a problem. Yeah, to me. The pronoun's clear. So now I have a problem. I either have two deities or I have one deity and two persons. You have a good point. So that's called like the fingerprints of the, the Trinity. If I can find the features that point to a triune God, then I know the, 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 the idea is true, even if the word isn't used. What you're pointing out is, and this for our listeners, this is something what you would, if you read J. Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity, what Jeff is talking about here is um, called circumstantial evidence. There's two types. One is direct evidence, which would be, say, if you met a person straight up and then you talked about them or you whatnot, that's called direct evidence. You have direct contact with it. Circumstantial means that you don't have direct contact or direct line of sight of something, but the evidence around that particular situation points to what it is. So you may not have seen the father and the son exactly together as one, but you do have them in conversation making the circumstantial evidence that there are two two persons with the same essence. Well, um... On the philosophical level, it's called Leibniz's rule of non-identicals. That for two things to be the same, they have to share the same essential qualities. So if I can demonstrate the angel of the Lord is called deity, he shares the quality of deity. If the father is deity, he shares the quality of deity. Therefore, they're, they're, they're both must be considered God. But why you... Based on what you're trying to say, that two is one God, because the Bible teaches there's mm-hmm. only one God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem is this: the word "one" does not necessarily have the concept of a unitarian oneness. Right. They get their word "tohid." I think it's related uh-huh. uh, because Hebrew and Arabic are very closely related to the Hebrew "echad," 
So someone says to me, okay, God says he's one. Uh, Ali Shabir pulled this on David Wood, only he butchered the Hebrew so bad that I had a comment because he commented on David Wood's Arabic. Um, the word echad is used of a husband and wife becoming one flesh. So I guess Marlene is sitting here right now. He's my wife. See, echad doesn't have to mean one single thing. So if you understand the concept the way it's portrayed throughout the scriptures, you understand that there's this mystery. Now in the New Testament, the mystery gets cleared up. In the Old Testament, you have what's called proto-Trinitarianism. Mm -hmm. The facts are, hints are there. Facts are there. Circumstantial evidence is there. But it isn't stated directly. You have to piece the evidence together. When you get to the New Testament, it's just stated directly. This is what this means. Can you give us a New Testament example that how we can come out with the conclusion of the Trinity from the New Testament? Uh, Jesus' baptism is clear. You have the Father speaking to the Son. This is my Son in whom I well please. And the Spirit descends upon the Son. So you have all three in the same places. And there aren't any variant texts there. Someone will jump to John's letters and say the three witnesses the water, the blood, and but there's a textual variant there, and some smart person's going to pick up on that. You don't have to worry about that with Matthew. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, the other is the baptismal form, you know, given in Matthew. Who do you baptize them in the name of? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. So you have uh, in you, the name, not in names. the names, not names. Singular in the Greek. Got a good point. You have a very good point on that. So, that's really bad grammar on Matthew's part, or uh, he's trying to tell us. <laughs> yeah, something. I was going to say, either he the didn't... Implications <laughs> the implications there. So, pretty much, the the Trinity is one of those that's very difficult. We're obviously just going to be touching on one thing. One, one mm -hmm. other thing that Muslims say, how can you say 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equal 1? What if we use 1 times 1 times 1 times 1 is equal 1? That's one thing. But what about infinity plus infinity plus infinity? How many infinity are there? It's only one. It's only one. Infinity. There's a lot of good examples you can use, but be very careful in what ideas you, you, you because you convey. Yeah, you, you can you can seem sound like a one upon a castle by uh, <laughs> using the eggs and water and ice and stuff like that. You have to be very careful. We need to know how. We explain the Trinity, but we always, as I said earlier, that we have to show that we are not capable 100% to understand who God is, but we can tell you what the Bible says about the Trinity. If I took a picture of you, would that be a perfect representation? Well, my language is not a perfect representation of divine reality either. That's true. I think ultimately the whole idea with the Trinity, or as we're wrapping this up, is <clears throat> the takeaway with this uh, for all of my listeners is the Trinity is something that's very difficult to understand. We're only kind of just touching on the surface. Obviously, as we were saying earlier, and George was mentioning about this, is that we can talk for hours and days and days and even weeks, even years about the Trinity. But we're never going to fully grasp the Trinity. The whole premise is this is okay. We're going to give some examples. And I'm going to, we're probably going to have more podcasts coming up. We're going to be talking about this with each other. Um, but I hope this really did help out with with you guys. And if you're a Muslim, and this may have shed some light for you guys to be able to know more about the Trinity. Maybe you had some misconceptions, and this cleared up some of the air for you. 
So I really hope this helped out. So until next time we meet again, may God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.